These are verses we've read a lot over the years, and it's interesting applying them. It kind of depends on how you understand them. But the last month or so, Blake uh, Lamberson had this class on miracles, whether God still works the same wonders and miracles like he did in the, in the first century today. And, uh, and it became a very volatile class. I mean, it was, I was crazy. I was like, what is wrong with me? People went rabid crazy over this. And, and I thought, boy, this is really sensitive. And so I decided, uh, I just want to say this. No one denies that God can do amazing things and still does. It's just whether he does them in the same way that he did in the first century is the question. And I'll just kind of give you my, my argument on this. It comes from Hebrews, and here's Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has given his final word in Jesus. This is the last word of the conversation. God has the last word, and it's Jesus and his apostles. He goes on to say in chapter 2 this, So we must pay more careful attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Pay attention to these words of Jesus. It's really important that we do that. The message declared by angels in the Old Testament proved to be reliable. Every transgression or disobedience received just retribution. You know, in the Old Testament, you were punished for not obeying. He said, how how shall we escape if we neglect a great salvation like the new covenant? And he goes on to say this, it was declared first by the Lord. Jesus started it was attested to us by those who heard, so continued by the apostles and those who heard Jesus, and it was borne witness. God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. What were those miracles and those amazing gifts of the Holy Spirit for? To attest the message of the apostles and Jesus. That's what they were for. And then, with, with no more words to say in Revelation, it doesn't need to be that way anymore. There are still gifts, just not of the same nature as the first century. And so prophecy is one of them. Let's talk about prophecy for a second. Here's what prophecy is. I think it's not real clear, to be honest with you, but it's kind of a divinely given message for God's people during a time when access to his word was meager. Not everybody carried scriptures. You couldn't, they were on scrolls. Maybe there was one in the synagogue but nobody had them and so how do you have access to the word of God well in the New Testament church and so here's an example so in first Corinthians chapter 14 here's how they did worship for those of you who say you know we wish our worship was like the first century let me challenge you you wouldn't like that at all because here's what they did in first Corinthians okay somebody'd stand up A prophet would stand up. It could be anybody in the congregation God could give the gift of prophecy to. And so the person would stand up, provide this message from God that would edify and encourage the people, give them guidance from God as his will for their lives. And then they'd sit down and another one would get up. And then they would sit down and another one would get up. And then you might have a tongue speaker. You might get somebody stand up and speak in tongues if there was an interpreter and the interpreter would tell you what he just said and then everybody would say, and then it says, it says they were to weigh everything and so the rest of the people kind of thought, hmm, is that really from God or not? And they would think about it and that's what a first century worship service was like because they didn't have scripture. They didn't have the completed word of God revealed by the Holy Spirit like we all carry with us or have even on our phones. That's how it worked. And it got chaotic. Can you imagine this? Zoom, boom, like popcorn in the assembly. And you all had to kind of follow this along. And then at the end of that chapter, 
we have one of my favorite verses. Guys, you need to do this decently in an order. And, and, and I'm so grateful, God, bless God, for putting that in there because I would have gone nuts in the first century. My, my, I, I'm just, I would have just gone crazy trying to figure out and discern all this stuff and weigh it all out. First Thessalonians written to a group of people that this is long before 1 Corinthians, so they had the similar type of worship. And there were some, I think, and here's what Paul comes along to say. In Thessalonica, he has to say, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Now, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody do that? The Holy Spirit was the means by which certain people were able to stand up and give a word from God. Otherwise, there would be no word from God. Why would anybody want to stop somebody who has a word from God through the Spirit from speaking? Why would anybody want to do that? Well, in Thessalonica, they were, they were struggling with this. They, they didn't know how to control this, and so they were like, let's just dispense with it altogether. Well, you can't do that. We need to be edified. We need a word from God for our lives. How are we going to get it if we don't have the Holy Spirit uh, leading somebody? And then he says to them, and don't despise the prophecies either. There were some people who said, I don't believe what you're saying. I'm not going to listen to what you're saying. I'm not going to do what you're saying. And so God's will being declared in this miraculous way within the assembly was being ignored by certain people because they didn't think that it was a word from God. Why would somebody do that? God's trying to give them a word for their lives, and they're shutting it down. Why would somebody want to do that? And then finally he gives the third word. What I want you to do to fix this is I want you to test everything. It's the same thing in 1 Corinthians 14 as the congregation is to weigh what's being said. He says to them in Thessalonica, what I want you to do when you get together as a church is test everything. Why would he say that? Y'all realize that you would be tested every time you come to church. Anybody have testing anxiety in here? You cannot stand tests? He says every week when you get together, I want you to test what's being said. He's saying you can't trust the preacher completely. You've got to filter the preacher's words. You've got to filter the teacher's words. You don't just, just uncontrollably un listen to every word. Why would he have to tell them this? Well, I'll give you an example of this from the next letter he preaches. We're going to go into this in a couple weeks. 2 Thessalonians. This is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Listen to what happened to these people. This is why this is so confusing, right? Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, he's already addressed that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but there were still some questions. Do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Someone forged a letter from Paul sent it to the Thessalonian believers saying the, Lord, the Lord's day has already come. And this got people all riled and upset. What do you mean it's already come? We're still here. Did we miss it? Somebody faked a Pauline letter. I can, t can I tell you this? This whole process of spiritual gifting and speaking by the Holy Spirit can be faked by human beings. It is even today, you know this, right? One of the most easily faked things is spirituality. We have TV preachers all the time that look so godly, and then, and then something happens, and everybody goes, what in the world? It's amazing to me, the influential people who write books and all that, and you find out later on, they're a bunch of one.
organizers and they're running off with money. We got people who are not legitimate people trying to be an influence. So what happens when you don't have any way to know whether this word is really from God or not? Well, what happens is you have to test it. So here's what would happen in church. These guys stand up and speak. These people over here stand up and speak and give a word. And then the church had to huddle together and say, given what we know about the nature of God and the word of Scripture that we know in our head and the spirit that's leading us, is this really a word from God or not? It's not a foolproof process. That's what happened. And so Paul says, if you shut down everybody who is speaking in your assemblies because you don't trust this process at all, you're shutting down God's only way of leading you. Now, so finally what he says is, quit doubting it all, quit believing it all, just test it all. That's what he's saying. Does this word have any relevance to us at all? Quench the spirit, quench the spirit test the prophecies, don't don't question the pro, or don't don't uh, what is it? don't respect the prophecies and test everything does that have anything to do with us given the fact that we have revelation i've just said my argument is we don't have prophecy like that anymore the word of god has already been delivered in the scriptures we don't have this anymore so i'm going to make this argument there's two things the spirit's doing with scripture number 1 he's providing us access to the mind of god through scripture in the first century, they didn't have it completely. Today, we do. You carry it with you, and we are guiding everything by it. We, we make you prove everything from it. There is no one who has a right to ever speak to God's people with any kind of authority if you're not basing it upon the Word of God. Is that right? So this side of it, this the Holy Spirit provided revelation. We don't have to worry about quenching the Holy Spirit like this. We don't have to worry about despising prophecies like this. But that's not the only thing the Spirit does. Not only does the Spirit provide revelation, but the Spirit also leads us to provide application of that revelation to your life. And this is where the New Testament talks about walking in the step with the Spirit, living by the Spirit. Are you applying that revelation He's given us to your life? In this way, we can quench. In this way, we can despise the prophecies. So yeah, in a certain sense, this, this instruction is defunct. We don't have to worry about fighting over what did God actually say. We've got it in the Word. We do, however, still need the Spirit's help in applying it. That part is still there. Now, um, let me just say this. This is the hardest part of preaching. The process of the Holy Spirit leading us doesn't end with giving us a written word. We've all got it. We debate it. We have churches that are divided over how to talk about it. But we don't, that's not where it ends. It comes across and completes itself by us learning how to, provi- how to apply that word to our very lives, to bring it into our walk everyday lives. And, and not just in a Bible class figure out what does the Bible say. Because we have an awful lot of people that they'll get to Bible class, I want to know what it says, yeah, I believe what it says, and they'll leave it right in that classroom and go off to their life and not apply it whatsoever to their lives. We're supposed to be actually bringing that revelation into our lives and applications so that it can be seen in the world. That process is difficult. And in that process, we can still quench the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example from racism, for instance. 
You've got people who are racist, discriminating against people who are African-American. They're a different color from them, and so they've been raised all their lives talking about this, using language that reinforces this. They treat them differently somehow as substandard human beings, and, and for some reason they, they haven't figured out that that's not scriptural. Even Christians do this. How in the world can you be a racist Christian given the revelation that the Holy Spirit's already provided? Is a person like that waiting for God to come down in the form of a spirit-inspired messenger to say to them, maybe an angel, to say to them, to say to them, this person's been made in the image of God and needs to be treated with dignity? Does this person need someone to come along and say, God doesn't judge by external appearances, he, he, he looks at the heart? Do they need somebody to tell them that? Do they need some kind of angelic being to come down and say to them, God is no respecter of persons. God loves everyone and places them right where he wants them. Do they need that revelation? They shouldn't. They already have it. This instruction is over here. We've had it in our hands forever. You can't be a racist person in your heart and claim to be a person guided by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's already been provided. The problem is they haven't walked it over here to their own lives. They haven't applied it. And for some reason, there's this obstruction right here. They leave that over there. They can answer the Bible trivia questions. They know it when the preacher says it, talk about it in Bible class, but it doesn't go over to Main Street in their lives and into their homes. They're quenching the Holy Spirit, not because they don't have revelation. They're quenching the Holy Spirit because they aren't applying that revelation to their real life. How would we do this? I think the Holy Spirit would guide me as a preacher to try to model this in a sermon. I can tell you this, preaching is fairly simple when it comes to the study stuff. I take a text, we're going like today, we happen to be at 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. Don't quench the Spirit, don't despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to that which is good, and avoid every appearance of evil. That's what it says, and by the way, it, doesn't, it didn't take me long this week to figure out what does the passage actually mean. You know what it means? Don't quench the Holy Spirit, don't despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to that which is good, steer clear of that which is evil. That's what it means. And that's easy, and a lot of sermons stay right there. A lot of preachers leave it right there because that's easy to do. It doesn't take much time. There's a big, long difference, though, between preaching that's like that and preaching that walks it over into your life and looks at, considers everybody in a Valley View Church of Christ context and says, how does that passage have anything to do with us on a daily basis? How in the world does it matter to you in your context? We've got to study more than just the Scripture. You've got to study lives. And this is not easy, and it's never complete, and it's not perfect. It's flawed. But we have to do this. And by the way, the preacher has to do this to model it to you, but then you have to continue it because only you know all the context of your life. Only you know all the places where that, that Scripture should land. And the Holy Spirit is trying to set a fire. He's lit it with His Word, and He wants to rage that fire into your life, and He wants it to burn up some stuff, and it wants to set you on fire in, an, in, in excitement for certain ways to behave that Scripture. But whether you follow it or not, you could quench it or you could despise it. Preaching that's real and relevant 
takes that passage that is spirit-inspired, believes and backed by the Word of God and brings it into your life. I'm going to give you an example from a chapter before, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So back up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I just want to model this and then I want to tell you what all the problems that this is. I want you to have a headache as you leave here trying to figure this out. I want you to go, I don't know how preachers can ever think, presume to do that. And then I want you to think, how, are, how am I supposed to be doing this? Because when, you pre, when a person preaches, the church, one person may have prepared something, but the church has a responsibility to test everything. You've got work to do when this, as this sermon goes out. You've got to figure out all the nooks and crannies of your life where it fits. So we're at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Anybody believe that's true? I didn't hear any amens. Let me, let me back up. Your, your response is to say amen. Here we go. So, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Do you have any idea what that means? You just said amen, I believe it. It's in the word, I believe that. Our sanctification is where God wants us to go. Amen. But what in the world does sanctification mean? I could easily leave it there and just say, hey, we need to be sanctified. Amen, brother, let's leave. But the problem is, that doesn't really tell you anything about your life. Now, keep going. He says, you abstain from sexual immorality. I'm going to say it to you all. We need to abstain from sexual immorality. Amen. But what does that mean? Sexual immorality, I'm against it. Okay, what does that mean? Where in your life might this matter? And you say, well, I've been faithful to my spouse. Is that all? Is that all this is? Are there some other things in there? When we put this in our context, are there some things that Paul didn't even think about that this passage actually applies to that he couldn't apply because it wasn't real back then that it is now? Okay, keep reading, keep reading. So you got, we've got sanctification, we've got sexual morality. Each one of you should learn to control his own body. You are responsible for controlling your own body in holiness and in honor and quit being in passionate lust like the heathen, the godless people. God's people have more honor and holiness than just this, 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 this let the body go and do what it wants. Now that all sounds yes and we'll say amen, amen. But now, okay, we're here. You believe that passage. You believe that's revelation from God through his Holy Spirit. You know it's important. But what in the world does this have to do with my life? And so I bring it over here and I look at our context and I'm reading places. I'm reading places that According to stats, a huge percentage of our young people are grappling with pornography. A huge percentage of our older people are grappling with pornography. Now, Paul didn't ever put that anywhere. No one put that anywhere in Scripture because that's a newer expression of it in the form that we have. But is that covered by 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8? Is that something we need to address? Is that something we need to say? Because it's out there and it's so easily accessible and it consumes the hearts and souls of our young people and it's a violation of sanctification, sexual immorality, and, 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 and guiding your body in a way that's holy and honorable. Does that count? There'll be some people in the world say, no, that's First Amendment rights. But you're in the kingdom of God. Is, is, this, is this an application the Holy Spirit wants you to draw from this passage? Randy, would it be? 
You think so, or are you just guessing? Paul wouldn't? You think it would? Would we all agree? Because I think some people wouldn't. What about living together before marriage? The numbers are falling of Christians who look at that and say that's, that's against the will of God. Well, it's not certain. It's not clear in Scripture. You know, and practically it's cheaper to live this way and it's a good test run. Go back into the 50s and this was preached hard. Come up to now and all of a sudden we're debating this. Is this from 1 Thessalonians 4 or not? Is this part of that or not? The Holy Spirit is starting a fire with his word. He wants to rage through your life and get rid of the stuff that doesn't belong there and start a fire and build things that do belong there. But are you letting him in there? Are you letting him go there? Are you quenching the Holy Spirit and despising this prophecy by not letting it sink in as far as it should? Does, this, does, does the jokes that we tell and the innuendos we laugh at, does that fit in here? Are the, are, are the things that we're willing to talk about in locker rooms and places, does that fit in this or is that just somehow kind of a free-for-all? How far are you going to let this go? And are you going to... And I'm not going to put up a list of movies you can't watch or books you can't read. I'm pretty sure Fifty Shades of Grey would be out outside of this one. I don't know about some others, but there's some romance novels people enjoy reading. I've seen them at your house. No offense, I just see them on the bookshelf. I, I, I look at that and I go, would that count? I'm not going to make a list. I have no desire to be the Pope. But in sermons... I try to bring it across here, and, I, and then I leave it to you to go the rest of the way because I can't do that for everybody. And it, it's an area of freedom here somewhat that I can't venture into. But, but I'm opening up, I'm trying to open up and say, where is the Spirit being quenched by you from actually doing what the Word says? Even modesty fits in here. I'm not going to venture into that thing, right? That is a pit that no one can win. But if I say we should be modest, I'll hear amens everywhere. If I start defining what that is in specific terms, I will have fewer amens, and suddenly I will have some looks of, mind your own business, preacher. But somewhere between getting out of bed and leaving for wherever you're going, you have to grapple with just what that means. You have to decide how far you'll let the Spirit burn its way into your life from the revelation we've been given. And then we could continue, because it if, if you can, if there's a connection, a way of drawing a clear connection between what this revelation says and how it applies, I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to go there. I believe he's wanting you to go there, apply the whole thing. But there are some things people say that are really weird. Let me give you the negative side of this. And talking with some friends about homosexuality, for instance, and there's six verses you can turn to. That's the famous, you know, six verses we sometimes sledgehammer but there are six verses, but one of them in particular, Romans chapter one that describes homosexuality, why it's wrong. It violates the nature of God established in Genesis chapter two. And they'll look at that and say, well, here's the thing. 
they will look at the revelation, yeah, I see what it says, but between here and there, there's an obstruction. If, it's a, if you are heterosexual oriented and you're just doing that as an expression of lust, it's wrong. But if you genuinely love somebody of the same sex and you are actually homosexual at your heart, well, then it's not wrong. That's not who Paul was talking to. There's a number of arguments like that keep going around in different circles. They come up with different twists. And I'm telling you all, if, the, if you can't draw a straight line between what Scripture says and how it applies to your life, be suspicious of that interpretation. I am telling you, they are using application to undermine the revelation. Trying to tell you, we want to do this, and so we're going to undermine this revelation. Don't let anything undermine revelation, and don't let anything obstruct application either. Let's be a people who seek to be sanctified, moral, control our bodies in a way that is honorable as God defines it, and let the Holy Spirit use his revelation to sink deep into your actual life and application, and don't quench him. Don't stop him from going where he wants to go. Don't despise the prophecies. Don't rip out scripture and just say, I don't believe that. That's not really my setting. That's not my thing, so let's get rid of it. Don't do that stuff. Test everything. Test it all. But when you test, have enough integrity to hold fast to what is consistent with the Word of God. Hold fast to it, hold on to it, let it infiltrate your entire life in every way that you can conceive and at least understand that. And if there's something that's not consistent, something that is not letting the Spirit through, you need to steer clear of it. I want us to be Holy Spirit people. God's still trying to lead His people through the Holy Spirit. Yes, we've got the completed revelation. But there's always, always, always room to give him more permission to sink that revelation into our actual lives and application. And in this passage, Paul says, please don't quench the spirit. He is wanting to get somewhere. Do not despise his words and negate them or nullify them or erase them or eliminate them. Don't despise his prophecies. Test them all and hold fast to what is good and avoid every kind of evil. This, this kind of attitude afflicts everything. So like you are in Valley View Church of Christ, and here's what we're going to say. Because it's what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, the first full gospel sermon. First time that he uses the keys of the kingdom. So the first time that the full story can be preached and applied to the lives of hearers. He uses those keys and he says, here's how you open the door to this. And this is how it's going to be for you and for your children and all who are far off. Even in 2023, this is how it's going to be. That you repent of your sins and you are immersed in the waters of baptism and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? After your sins are forgiven, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven and washed away and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how this works. And already, very early, people were changing that they were altering that trying to find different ways that appeased people's comfort zones a little more let's not do that instead let the revelation speak 
Let the revelation sit right there. And then when you read that revelation, it's an easy application. You know how to apply that saving power of Jesus to your life? You know how you apply it? You do what they did. You repent. You are immersed. Your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and you're added to the church. Let's just leave it right there. Just leave it right there. That's how the Spirit communicates. That's how he worked. That's how he still works. If you're subject to the invitation this morning, whether by that, how do I get in the kingdom, or how do I allow the Spirit to work more and more, it's that revelation applied to your life, and let's not quench the Spirit or despise prophecies. Let's cooperate with the Spirit and respect his revelation, submitting to it in obedience. And whatever act of obedience, any responsive obedience you need to make this morning, make it right now as we stand, as we sing together.